Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager Boeing Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. How you doing, Rob? Pretty good. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing really good. We have uh, a guest with us today that um, I, I is one of my favorite people in this business. And, now, um, that, that's not what he said the other day during the uh, production meeting, but no, I guess we can move on. Yeah, that's, that's, That was between you and us, and that was just that one time he did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, this, this is... Um, uh, today we have uh, our guest is from the West Coast and uh, the state of California. So we're going to go all the way from New York and Tennessee, all the way across the plains, uh, over to the West Coast today, and talk to Larry Stephen. Larry Stephen is a Bona Territory rep for uh, Northern California. What do you got? Northern California, and where else, Larry? Northern California, Northern Nevada, Alaska, and Hawaii, but uh, I don't get to go out to Hawaii too often, so don't get too excited about that, guys. That's because you made that, that one trip over there to sell that case of traffic. That, that, that's right. That's right. You know, and uh, you know, I went over there, and uh, you know, I used I used to like to golf, but I can't do that anymore because uh, Bona took all my golf clubs away, so I can't golf no more. <laughs> How's it golfing in Alaska? Frozen. You know, we don't use golf balls, Rob. We just use uh, chunks of ice, and uh, if you hard, hit them hard enough, they explode, and and you don't know where the hell it went, so it's all good. Nice. Do you get up to Alaska much? You know, I've I've never been up to Alaska. Um, I've talked to a few contractors up there, and you know, six months out of the year, everything's frozen like an ice cube. So I don't think they're putting much finish down. And uh, you know, there's we've done some schools up in uh, Washington where some guys have come down and and we've trained them. And you know, there's just not much activity up there. So no, I, I would love to go up there and go fishing. Um, I, I could come back with some good stories to go up against Wayne there, but no, I haven't been up there yet, but. I'll you mean go up there and try to work, right? Not fish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to be able to expense that. You know, fishing, fishing is working for some people, right, Wayne? That's exactly right. <laughs> so I. Uh, he only fishes alone. Did you know that? He doesn't like to fish with people. Only fishes alone. Hey, Wayne, how come in all your fishing stories, there's never any conclusion of you catching a fish? No, it's funny you should say that because, and this is, it didn't dawn on me till, uh, till not too long ago. So when you go, when I go fishing in the morning, I'm usually the first guy on the lake or very close to it. I always see the sun come up on the lake, okay? And I love that about fishing. I love being on the water when the sun's coming up. So sometimes I'll take pictures of the sun coming up on the water until I realize that when some dude goes, yeah, well, that's what dudes do when they don't catch any fish. Well, look at the pretty sunset. <laughs> they didn't catch any damn fish. I went, oh, <laughs> I got to dial back those fish, those pictures a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing too, when I fish by myself, I don't get a lot of good fish pictures because I'm not holding it up while someone's taking a picture. I got to, you know, I got to put my arm out and, and it just doesn't make for a great picture. Um, but you know, and I'm catching the release guy anyhow, because I, I would decimate a fishery with my fishing skills if I didn't <laughs> catch and release. Uh, <laughs> I love it. All right. Wayne, the naturalist. 
I've known Larry for a long time. I think going probably, well, I'd say what, eight years, Larry? At least, more than that. Yeah. More than and, that. Uh, Larry, Larry has a, you know, maybe talk about your background a little bit, Larry. You know, I, um, I'm 43 years old and I started in the hardwood flooring business when I was 11. And uh, I lived out in the middle of nowhere. And I told my dad, I said, you know, dad, I want to buy it. I want to buy a dirt bike. And he goes, well, go buy one. And I said, well, I don't have any money. He goes, well, you can come down and go to work. And my, my family ran a pretty decent sized distribution company in the Bay Area for about 75 years. So I, when I was 11 years old, I, I went to work sweeping floors and, you know, building bundles of wood and doing stuff. And, you know, long story short is after a couple of years, I saved enough money to go buy a dirt bike. But what that did is that drug me into the industry at a pretty young age. So, you know, here I am at 43. I'm, I'm still at it. You know, I've been uh, in all sides of the industry from distribution to some manufacturing and uh, install, installing, sanding, finishing the whole nine yards. And, you know, here I am lucky enough to be working with Bona and be able to put all that together. It's uh, so been at it for a while, been into a lot of different parts of it. And, you know, it's uh, it's been fun it's been a lot of fun. So you, you sanded and installed too? I sanded and installed, yeah. I mean, you know, being being working for a hardwood flooring family, I mean, every you probably know how this is, Rob and Wayne, and you know, you, you go through and you, you do all your family members' houses and your aunts and your uncles and then your cousins when you get older. And pretty soon you would look around and say, man, I'm just doing this all for free. I need to start charging money for it. So, you know, I, I, I worked, when I left distribution, um, I worked for a, a pretty good size flooring contractor for a couple of years. And, um, after that I was, I was found myself working for Bona, but I, I couldn't say I was a full on contractor for a, a long period of time, but I would have my hands on it constantly all the time. You know, when I was in distribution, you know, manufacturers used to come to me with new products and say, Hey, we want you to test this out because I was the guy that was either a terrible coder. And if I can make it look good, then anybody can make it look good. Or, you know, if anybody could break a nail gun, it was me. So, you know, I was always fortunate enough to be testing things and beating things up and, and really seeing what could work. And I found myself in, when I was in distribution, doing a lot of training for our salespeople, because we felt that, you know, if our salespeople understood what a side nailer could do versus a manual nailer, that they could probably sell it just a little bit better. So, you know, we, we, uh, we did pretty well, you know, and I, I was able to do a lot of different positions and learn a lot of a lot of things being in, in the distribution side. You said you work for family and friends. Those are the only jobs I ever screwed up. <laughs> I know I, I know everybody that I work for that was a friend or family is like, how is he making a living doing this? He's <laughs> he's such a screw up. Well, that's where you do all your experimentation. You know that. I mean, it's uh, you can't make your family happy no matter what you do. So you might as well go try all the new stuff in their house. Well, as I said, I, I, I had a rule after a while that, um, especially in the Bay Area, you know the cost of the price of houses in the Bay Area, Larry. Oh, and yeah. uh, my rule was if I did your floors for a family or friend, and I'm not going to charge you for it, or I'm going to this, here's my deal. If you're going to sell this house in, in, within a year, then this is what I'm charging you. Because I'm not, I, I, I caught on to have, I, I do a family member's floors. And then they sell the house that was 300,000 for a million dollars and the floors are fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm doing for you if you're going to live there, but I'm not doing for you for you can, for you to sell the house and, you know, cash in for, you know, $700,000. And uh, so after a while, that was my family rule. 
and yes, that's where we tested out new products and techniques and uh, <laughs> uh, systems. Um, you do have a unique background, Larry, and, and I, when I got to know you, um, um, you don't see too many people, especially as young as you are, that have had so much experience in so many different parts of this industry. Uh, which, you know, as a territory manager, you, you have a lot of dealings with uh, distributors and uh, uh, contractors alike. And uh, so you, you've been on all sides of it, you know, working the counter and how challenging that can be. And um, uh, so I, I think uh, when we were looking for a territory manager in, in Northern California, you, you were the perfect fit for the job. And uh, the, the way that you handle the territory and, and um, uh, just the way you, you do your business is very impressive. So uh, glad to have you on the team. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Wayne. Hey, Wayne, who, who was the guy who uh, called me about the job for Bona? Well, I knew in order for me to move on, I had to have a replacement. And so, <laughs> I go, oh, man, I don't know who we're going to get to do this job. But I remember calling you, and then, uh, I remember the day, actually, that I, that I uh, made that phone call uh, to you. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, I remember it well, too, you know. So I, but the thing is, is you seem to have gotten all the credit for the whole thing. I mean, I just, I just get beat up and told to work harder. You, you get all the awards and everything. So what's going on here? <laughs> I know they fly him to Sweden and everything. He has really pulled the wool over the uh, corporate stooge's eyes, man. He's got it going on. Larry, so you're really covering the same territory that Wayne covered, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, right? Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. You must hear a lot of the trash stories about him, huh? You know, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stories about Wayne. And, you know, unfortunately, some of them are, are a little bit too colorful to talk about and and some of the stories, I mean, there, there's even some guys out there who used to work for Wayne back when he was a flooring contractor. And uh, those are the really good stories. But that, yeah. that's going to be a show in itself. That Absolutely. is that, the, the way the, the story about Wayne. Exactly. But, you know, to be honest with you, you know, there hasn't been a person that Wayne hasn't dealt with that hasn't said great things about him. And no, uh, no, 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 I don't want to make his head any fatter than it already is, but it is the truth. You know, Wayne, he really, he really tries to put him up on a pedestal, himself up on a pedestal, but it, it is the truth. You know, I mean, Wayne's done some crazy stuff out there and uh, you know, I've, I've got to deal with that on a daily basis right now with uh, how great Wayne was and, you know, and of course we're always trying to one up each other. So it's, I got to work pretty hard to do that. Yeah. It's like, uh, you, you're the guy who replaced Ty Cobb, right? That's right. Exactly. Uh, where are you going to go from there? Listen, I put my, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I just, and I definitely mean Wayne as Ty Cobb too. You know, he wasn't the most lovable character out there. Well, you know, the question was asked kind of like when Wayne used to be out in this territory, what, what, what did I have to, you know, contend with? And, you know, one of the things that, you know, kind of came to mind that I thought was kind of funny is that when, when, it, when Wade was a territory manager out here, you know, occasionally uh, an executive officer or a manager will want to come out and work with the territory managers for a day or two. And so you can call them corporate stooges. They know that there we can say that. I, I not not when they're this high up the ladder, you can't rob. <laughs> so uh, an individual came out. It was very high up within the organization. And this is before I even got to work with Bona to, to work with Wayne for a couple of days. So typically what it looks like is you, is you go out and you visit some accounts and distributors and you have meetings and you kind of give them a rundown of what your day looks like and uh, what Wayne's day looked like. And it'd probably be better if Wayne told the story because he could tell a lot better is uh, he was going across the, the Bay Bridge and there's a lot of bridges in the Bay Area that are pretty long 
really expensive to get across and very congested with a lot of traffic. So as Wayne was driving across the Bay Bridge, the car decided to kind of stumble and uh, stopped in the middle of the Bay Bridge and in rush hour with one of our executive officers. So uh, I'll let Wayne tell the rest of the story because I think he tells it much better than anybody else. All right, I'm going to make this quick. This, this was almost the end of my career a month into it. Um, the, the guy was Tom McNeil. And, and, and in America, at Bona, the, pretty much the buck stops at Tom McNeil. He's the top of the ladder. He is and, the Mac Daddy at Bona. Yes. And um, so he was going to travel with me for three days. And, um, you know, there's a fair amount of pressure when you travel with a, with a boss. And I just started... And I was used to driving a van for the last 30 years. And because the boss was coming out, you know, um, I didn't, obviously I'm not gonna put him in my work van. Uh, so my wife had just bought a, a Nissan Juke. It's a long story, it's another sad story, but she bought, so I, I said, Judy, can I use your car? Cause you know, the, the boss is coming out. She goes, sure. I fill up the gas tank on, uh, right? And, and you know, we go, we do, first day we do a distributor meeting with our distributors, everything went great. I thought I did, I, oh man, I'm doing good, it's good. Second day, same thing, distributor meetings, everything. I'm, 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 you know, I'm professional. I got all my stuff. I feel like, okay, I, I got this covered. On day three, all I had to do was take him to the airport. And we're, he's in a great mood. Things went swimmingly. We're going across the Bay Bridge. We're in that, what is there, eight lanes across the Bay Bridge? It's rush hour traffic, and the car dies. I'm in the middle lane. And I... And I, and I looked down at the gas gauge and it's on zero. It's on empty. And I went, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I was like, I was, a, I, I was dumbfounded. So he goes, what, you run out of gas? And I, and I, I, couldn't, for, I couldn't form the words, yes, we're out of gas. I, I, was, I was absolutely mortified. I couldn't tell you again in my life when I've ever run out of gas. So I, I make my way, I coast over, you know, to the far right lane while people are honking and all that, you know, how awkward that is. And then now we're stuck on the Bay Bridge. We're sitting there. And I think, well, you know, I there, where do you go from here? I wanted to jump off that bridge in the worst way. So the one thing, if you're going to get stuck in the Bay Area, the best place kind of to get stuck is, is the Bay Bridge because they don't fool around, man. They cannot have backup. So they send out a tow truck right away. And um, so I see the tow truck coming up behind me and I thought, all right, well, I'm going to get out there and explain to the guy. So I got out of the car and the guy goes, and, and the loudspeaker you could hear back in Oakland, driver, get back in your vehicle. And then he, he proceeded to give me all the instructions that, that you know, like I was a 12 year old child uh, on, on how he was going to push me across the bridge. And then he was going to give me a gallon of gas to get to the gas station. And we're sitting there. And it happened to be when the the, rate, the the sailboats were doing that. You know, they do those races. Like once in a while, they have the sailboat races, the big, huge sailboats. And they were going across and everything, and we're looking out. And uh, he goes, well, yeah, it's a nice view. I go, yeah. And then at that time, some lady pulled up beside me to ask if I need any help. Well, the person behind her started honking at her. She flipped him off. He flipped her off. And it's just a disaster. So... Anyhow, long story, uh, he made it to the airport on time, and I think that's why I still have a job, uh, is because he never missed his flight. So, yeah. And I never, and I, and I thought, you know what, well, maybe that's just me and Tom's little secret, you know, that, uh, you, know, you know, we don't really have to talk about this company-wide, like this is like a one-off. And um, the next manager that came out to travel with me, I was putting gas in the car, and I looked as he took up his camera and took a picture of me putting gas in the car. Uh, well, son of a gun, man, the, the, the secret was out. So, yeah, 
that was almost the end of my career there, Larry. Yeah, so I mean, Wayne didn't set the bar too high. All I had to do was not run out of gas. I was just going to say that that is, I think Wayne did that on purpose. That was perfect for you. <laughs> All you had to do was not run out of gas. That's pretty good. You should probably thank Wayne for that one. Well, you, you could have had three more years to your career because, you know, it would have got rid of me. So, Larry, what I what I think uh, what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, you you have a very unique territory in uh, in Northern California, um, and I think and, and and you know there's other territories across the country that are like this. You live in some of the most affluent neighborhood, or you work in some of the most affluent neighborhoods uh, in the in the in America. In fact, the most affluent neighborhood in America, uh, which is. Um, Guys, escapes my Atherton, Atherton, California. I think is the number one most expensive neighborhood in America. Um, so for contractors, that you know, it poses some challenges when you live in an area that's so expensive. It's so expensive to live. It's so expensive to do business. There's a lot of there's a lot of, um, and now that I've I've moved and seen different parts of the country, there's a lot of rules and regulations on contractors in California that other other contractors may not. Uh, may not uh, have to deal with. So maybe talk about some of the challenges in working in, in um, areas that are so expensive, it's almost impossible to live for the average contractor. Um, and, and I think maybe that would be uh, something we could talk about. You know, it's, yeah, it, this is a, an area that's got more money than, than brains we say sometimes, but uh, you know, contractors, I got to hand it out to them. They're, the contractors we work with out here are phenomenal, you know, and the expectations they get put through are just extraordinary. And we talk about expectations in our schools. And it's one thing that every time that Rob or D or somebody says the word expectations, I kind of get a little bit of a, a twitch, you know, it kind of feels like someone's electric to me because they're exceptionally high in this area. I mean, these, uh, you know, maybe the square foot price that we get from floor out here is a couple bucks more, but I'll tell you what, these high tech people that make millions of dollars a year, and they live in a, you know, a 17,000 square foot home that costs $43 million. You know, they want things perfect and they want it their way and they want it done now. And it really puts the contractor through uh, stress, challenges, a test. And to do that every single day, every week, every month, every year, I mean, it, it's extraordinary what these guys can do. And, um, you know, we're fortunate enough to get out there and work with these guys and show them some of the best products in the industry. But I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of people ask me, say, hey, Larry, why, why didn't you go out and just stay working as a contractor? I'll tell you what, it takes a real unique individual to be able to do that. And, you know, for the contractors that work in the Bay Area or even all of Northern California, I hand, I got handed to them. They, they do some things that are just very difficult. So, you know, and out of that comes, you know, some very finely honed skills. I mean, I think of a Jason Mack. That uh, that came from that area there, and, and as a young guy too, I don't—he must be in his early forties too. Uh, I mean, when you're when you're working on, you know, fifty million dollar homes, thirty million dollars homes, and twenty million dollar homes, like you said, the expectations are off the charts. But what comes out of that is some of the some just phenomenal work, craftsmanship. Um, and I've I've always said that that if you can do work in that area. Of America, you can work anywhere, anywhere in the world, really, because some of the, um, like you said, the expectations that are put on you. And here's the other thing too: is what I've noticed is, so the homeowner bought, 
the, the homeowners spend $2 million on a house, okay? The house is 1,200 square feet, two bedrooms, one bath, and one and a half baths. Oh, what? Yes. 1,200 yes. feet, 1,200 square foot house, $2 million? Oh, I mean, absolutely in the Bay Area. <laughs> so the, the, in the real world, that house should be worth $220,000 anywhere else, right? Or less. But if you pay that much money for a house, you know, now it's the Taj Mahal. Now the expectations are just through the roof. You know what I mean? Because of the, the cost of that house. So uh, and even though it kind of gets in your head a little bit, even though it's just a regular, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a 800 square feet living room, dining room in a, in a hallway. Um, now you, it just, it should just be a straightforward, you know, 40, 60, 100, we're going to, uh, you know, hard plate it, whatever, or use the power drive. And then, but because there's so much money involved, there's another level of stress on those jobs. Um, so I, I like I I'm the same way, uh, Larry. I take my hat off. Uh, I think it was Clark Clark's hardwood floors you went to work for afterwards. Yeah, yeah. When I came out of distribution, I went to go work for Clark's Hardwood, which is a pretty good sized sand and finish company in the San Jose yes. area. And uh, they they were pretty unique because I mean, all the guys they had, you know, there was actually very little pre finish work going in through their schedule. It was all sand and finishes, all five sixteenths. Um, new install and it's still kind of that way today but you know it was neat to see a company that ran so many crew members at that focus pretty much solely on sand and finish and, and once again I mean the expectations that we we were put through um, you got 3,000 feet got a sand and they want you to do it in two days and you got to educate them a little bit and say well this is the processes we have to go through and it's going to take longer than two days if you want a really good job but uh, then they're mad at you they're mad at you. And you know, it's just, it's always something. I mean, just today I was on a phone call with three different contractors, all just trying to get paid for the phenomenal job that they did. And uh, one job I looked at, it was beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a Pile floor, very nice, very nice floor, exotic, did a beautiful job. And, uh, you know, just the expectations sometimes are just a little, little too high for something that you got to sand and refinish. And you, you put your heart and soul and a tremendous amount of time into providing a, a beautiful product and uh, when somebody sees a hair at eight o'clock in the morning and that's it and they they don't want to pay you it's it's frustrating and that's that's a tough thing for these guys to deal with and i i gotta hand it to i i agree and, and you know we've all as a territory manager we've all had to go out to jobs or or a company the contract on a job there's a question or what have you and uh, and sometimes you see that the this the, those type of conversations and for me, it puts me right back to when I was a contractor. I, it's almost like it's happening to me when they, when you, when you hear this conversation going on. And uh, I still feel the same stress as uh, as the guy that's being put under the gun. And uh, like you said, some of the craftsmanship that comes out of there, man, is just some of some of the best I've ever seen. Um, and every part of the country has their own challenges. I, I look at the you know one thing that Bay Area doesn't have. Uh, so much in challenges is weather and you look at these guys in in michigan and new york and in, in florida where you got the wild weather swings you know the humidity can just crash in the winter and then just go off the charts in, in the in the summer and you know the expectations for those guys i mean is, is sometimes completely unrealistic so yeah man it's uh and, and I, I i i really this is me you know I, 
talking here. I, I thought you were the perfect guy for the job because you've seen all sides of it, and and uh, and I, I like how you, you know, the the respect you have for the for the work that's out there. So pretty cool. You know, he's talking. Uh, I think that's the biggest change in the industry from when Wayne, you and I were really out there doing it and and not doing it anymore because I'm watching it with my own kid. I think that's the biggest change in the industry is the people. The people, I mean, back when I was Santa Flores professionally in the 80s and everything, people were just not as finicky or picky or I don't know if the expectations, I don't know if it's the internet, but man, they're lunatics now. <laughs> I, I really feel, I hear the stories when I'm doing the trainings from these guys and I'm like, oh my God, how do they, how do, they do it day in and day out? Man, most of the jobs we were doing, we were getting a tip. They were, they were tipping us. They were so happy. And now it's not what guys are going through now. So I can't imagine working for the, uh, the Silicon Valley types. My God, that's just got to be impossible. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the best things when I was out there doing floors was, you know, when you go out and do a job and everything lines up the best you can and you walk away and that floor, it is beautiful. And, uh, when the people come home and they take a look at it and they, they're like, Oh my gosh. And they're just blown away. And, and, you know, they're, they're happy with the product you provided and you get paid. That's a pretty good feeling. And I think that's the addictive part of it is when you have those successes, you know, obviously if every job is a failure, you're not going to be in business for very long, but when you have some of those successes, that's the fuel that really drives these guys and keeps them going back every day. Because you know, when you only hear about the bad things, you think, why are you doing this? You know, go, go do something else. Go make millions of dollars, you know, making video games or something like that. But um, when you do make somebody happy and they're, they're thrilled about their house, and I'll tell you what, the floor is looked at more than any other part of the house, you know, and it's, it's probably the most abused part of the house, too. Yeah. And some people get that and some people don't. But, uh, you know, it, there's, there's really a, a good feeling when you walk away from something. And when you, when you leave a house where you've done a good job and, you're, you're still thinking about it. You're like, oh man, you know, when I cut that floor, it was, it was perfectly flat and looked beautiful and I got a good coat of finish down and man, it had a herringbone in the entryway and I, I don't see one applicator mark. You almost want to go back to the house the next day just to look at it again. And that's, that's an intoxicating feeling. It's, it's pretty cool. And that's one part about being a contractor that I really like. It's funny because one of the episodes before this, we, we did on, uh, on doing um, lacing in and Rob talked about, you know, the, you know, telling the homeowner on everything he did to make that perfect. And as I was driving down the road the other day, I was thinking about that. And I, I remember jobs where I, I, I'd say, you know, I, you know, here it is. We laced it in everything and here's how everything matches. You can't even tell the difference. And the homeowner would go like, oh, yeah, it looks great. You know, and then walk <laughs> off. And I want to follow them in the master bedroom and go, no, no, I don't think you get it. You know, come back out here again. <laughs> Maybe I didn't make this clear, but that wasn't. That's the why I, I almost grabbed that guy by the shirt to <laughs> yeah. tell him, look, you, you have no idea yeah. the, the magic that I performed on this floor. Mm. And that's why I went through everything with him step by step by step. I, yeah. Sometimes we just make it look too easy. Yep. Larry, so the, the, the other part of the equation for living in such an affluent neighborhood, uh, and this isn't just, you know, germane to our, our industry. I mean, in San Francisco, there's firemen that live in Boise, Idaho, and they fly in every week to go to work, and then they fly back to Boise, Idaho, because it's the, the cost of living in the, in, the, in the Bay Area. So can you maybe you can talk about some of the challenges of hiring guys and having employees 
in areas that, gosh, I mean, it is just, you know, off the charts as far as the cost of living goes. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is, you know, people, why do people go to the Bay Area, you know, and what's it well known for? It's, it's for the high-tech industry. So when you think about the, the high-tech industries, you know, they, they pay, I guess, really well. I don't work for one, but I mean, I've heard the stories. And so, I mean, we all know throughout the nation, trying to find the young blood in the industry to, to bring them in and train them and, and show them that they can do great with this, this career and profession, that's hard. I mean, I'm on the hunt every single day for uh, younger installers. And when younger, I'm talking like in their late 30s, you know, I'm not talking in your, your teens or 20s, you know. So it, you're trying to find, you know, those individuals, you know, especially in an area where everybody's kind of, you know, uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses, I guess. And when you're making, you know, 60, 70 grand a year, that's poverty for this entire area. Uh, you're not going to keep up with the Joneses, so you're forced to go into a high-tech field or an engineer or something like that. So the flooring contractors, I mean, there aren't kids coming out of college going into the trades, you know, blue-collar trades. It's, so they're they're just there's not guys there to hire. And if they do find somebody, they don't want to work. Uh, you know, they don't want to use their hands. They want to sit there and play on their phone. And and we I've heard the podcast about you know having employees on a phone. I mean, we all want to kill them. So. That doesn't that doesn't get the job done so it, it's difficult here i mean there's just i look at the flooring contractors and i work with guys that are you know still in their 80s practically and they're out there doing floors you know and they want to hand the business off some of these companies out here have got phenomenal businesses they've been in, in business for 30 40 50 years and they've got you know excellent clients they do millions of dollars worth of work but there's nobody there to sell the business to. There's no one there to pass it over to. No generation, no nothing. And I'm I'm just amazed to see what the flooring business is going to look like in 15, 20 years. I mean, these folks are going to want their floors sanded and refinished. There's not going to be anybody there to do it. Um, so, I mean, I, I work real hard with the younger generation of flooring contractors because they are the future of this. And it is extremely difficult to, to find anybody. Even our poor distributors can't find employees to you know, man the counters and unload trucks and, you know, ship materials out. It's, it's just almost impossible. And they've created an, an economy here that, you know, I, I, I lived in San Jose most of my life. Um, seven years ago, I moved out because I was just about ready to move my wife and kids under a, a freeway overpass. I, I couldn't do it. And um, I just don't know how, how these folks, unless they were born there 50 years ago or 60 years ago, it's a very difficult situation. And running a business there, it, it costs a lot of money. So it's it, it's definitely one of the biggest challenges, not just the flooring trade has, but just about everybody that works and runs a business in that Bay Area. It's that's one of the biggest challenges is how much longer is it going to go on? So it, in some ways, it reminds me of farmers years ago, where farmers used to have you know six, seven, eight kids because they needed that was their labor force, right? They needed the farm to go on. And now you see farms that, uh, and I'm seated here where I live in Tennessee, beautiful 300 acre farms that this starts to go in disrepair because the oldest son doesn't want to farm and the kids don't want to be there. They don't want to do that kind of work anymore and they're, they're moving off and the farms are kind of going away a little bit uh, for the same reason. Uh, you know, it's hard labor. Being a farmer is an extremely hard job. So uh, yeah, it's interesting how it kind of parallels with the labor force. But what it tells me is, there's going to be, you know, coming up down the road, there's going to be a whole lot of work in this industry for a long time because if the labor pool does keep shrinking, 
these people need their floors done. And, and, and you talk about being able to charge for your, for your, you know, your, your labor. I think that, uh, it opens the door for some, some great opportunities for a lot of guys. I agree. And, you know, talking to a few of the contractors out there that are kind of seeing the same thing happen, they're starting to figure out that, you know, they don't need to charge 1985 prices anymore. They can get it up to 2020. And, um, you know, there's, there's less and less guys picking up Sanders and more guys picking up LVT type flooring and doing that. But, you know, I think that if, if the guys in this area, if they, if they think about what's going on, you know, they can charge good money for their services instead of trying to compete with the, the guys that are doing it for nothing. They can really, you know, it doesn't take too much to figure out that you can bump your, your price up a few bucks a square foot and you're going to get the job. And that's, that's what we used to do when we were out there bidding jobs, you know, we kind of keep the price going up and if the phone, started getting quiet, we kind of lowered the price down a little bit and we kind of dictated the price on how much that phone rang. And yeah. there's some guys that still charge what they charged 30 years ago and they just keep cranking out the jobs and, you know, you don't need to give your services away for sure. It's, it's funny that, um, you know, we had Jeff Sheaves on here. His son, Aaron, is a contractor in Virginia and he talked about how much his, his son has had to raise his prices and everything. And same thing with, with Rob, with Bum. And I see my brothers out there in Northern California uh, still doing work. And the prices he tells me he gets, man, is like, wow, what, it, it is unreal compared to what we used to charge. Uh, Bump told me what he was getting finally. I, I nearly fell off the chair when he said it. And he looked at me. He's like, well, you were the one who told me to keep raising it till they said no. And he goes, that, you know, I found that high mark where they just, okay, the phone did kind of get quiet and he backed off a little bit, but I was blown away by uh, what he was getting. You know, so, the other thing, Larry, you're talking about with um, how much guys are charging, they're not charging enough, you know, charging what they charged back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I hear it at every training. There's always somebody in the training saying, listen, around here, Nobody gets more than two and a quarter a square foot. You can't get more than two and a quarter. And then there's always a guy sitting in the back row with a big you-know-what-eating grin on his face who's getting double or triple that. And he's just a guy who's just not afraid to ask for it. But, you know, I think we did a whole podcast recently, didn't we, Wayne, on how to charge more, why we should be charging more. You know, when I go to a city, one of the things I'm always looking at is, man, how the hell do they, how do they work around here? Like, you know, you drive around Manhattan, of course, you're thinking there's no way anybody can sand a floor here. But I was in San Francisco years ago, and that was the first thing that hit me. How the hell do these guys pull a truck up to a house and unload? And it's, it seemed impossible in a lot of the areas there between the hills and the winding roads. And uh, I don't know, that's gotta be insane working around there. It, it, it is, man. I, my first year with Bona, I actually lost my car in San Francisco and I, I'm not a big fan of going into San Francisco. I'm kind of a country boy. And you mean uh, lost it like you couldn't find it or it was stolen. It, it was stolen, but it was, uh, I parked it at a meter. Okay. And I went and paid the meter and um, I went in, I was doing an inspection with a distributor on a floor, at, you know, up there. And I was only in there for maybe 30 minutes. And I came out and I was talking to the distributor rep. I was looking around. I'm like, you know what? I'm in the middle of a big city, right? And I'm pretty sure I parked my car over there, but it's not there anymore. 
<laughs> and at the bottom of the little post, it had this little tiny sign that was like two inches by four inches that said trucks only. And I'll be done. I feel like I've been had, man. I, I was like, you know what? You know, you know how it is, Rob. You're in the city or something like that. And if you find a, a parking spot, it's like winning the lottery. You want to stay there for weeks. Yeah. So you want to go pay that meter. I don't care if it costs 20 bucks, man. I found a parking spot. I'm happy. I'm good. I don't have to walk five miles. I don't have to go to a garage. <laughs> so uh, the distributor rep was nice enough to drive me to the, uh, the, the, the tow place and I could get my car out of jail. It, that day cost me over $700 to get my car back. Okay. And, uh, I, I actually asked the people at the car place, I said, hey, would you like to keep the car? It's not worth that much. Yeah. And they looked at me very seriously and they're like, no, if you leave your car here, we're going to charge you every day that's here. I'm like, I can't believe this. So, you know, it, it is tough working in the cities. You know, you're going to get tickets, you know, floor guys, you know, instead of getting a good seven, eight hours work in, they get two. You know, they, they can't leave their equipment there because it's going to get stolen. And they yeah. can't park the truck there because it's going to get towed away. So it's, it's a very unique place to work. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was, I was very happy that I didn't have to. <laughs> so, Larry, a um, couple of things I wanted to ask you. One, of, one is, you know, what do you like about your job uh, as a territory manager? What is it about the job that appeals to you? Um, we'll start with that one first. I have another question after that. You know, over the years, I got approached with a few different job offers. And, you know, I, I respectfully turned them down. And, and uh this, this fine gentleman by the name of Wayne Highlander called me one day about Bona. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> the, interrupt him, Rob. Uh, the thing I like about this job is it's kind of like being Clark Kent. Okay. You, you've got your business suit on, you're walking down the street, you just got out of a good meeting. And all of a sudden the phone rings and it's a contractor that's, you know, having a difficult time with something or needs a little bit of help. So you run over to the phone booth and you put your, your super suit on your cape and you fly off to the job site and you're, you know, you're working with a contractor and you're, you're trying to, you know, help them get through the situation. And they're most of the time pretty thankful for that. Every day is different with his job. You know, one day we could be working with sanding equipment, how to sand a floor the right way. The next day we're working with adhesives and, you know, fastening systems and moisture barriers. And the next day we're working with stains and sealers and finishes. Every day is different. And I love that. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to go fast and um, I need things to keep me occupied. And, you know, other companies that sell a product, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, man. That's just not for me, you know, to sell a product every single day, day in and day out. This job has got so much versatility to it. And, you know, you, you're never going to have, no day is going to be the same as the one, the next one. And I, I love that. And um, I, you know, think about the job when it was offered to me, I was kind of like, well, there's, there's definitely some positives here. And, you know, I think that was one of the most attractive things is, it, you know, all the different products we could work with. It wasn't just one product. It was a whole variety of products. And then, you know, just, just the knowledge that came with it and being able to work with people. I mean, it's, it's, that's, I think the best part of it. You know, we always hear that line, oh, you know, that BS line drives me crazy. Oh, we want to be a partner in your business. I think that's the greatest part about working with Bona is they do allow us to, you know what I mean? They, they don't put a time limit on how much time we can spend with somebody or try to get something fixed or train somebody. Uh, money's not an object. The object is making these customers happy and making them happy with the systems. And I think that's awesome because sometimes you do see with other, other companies, they just don't have the time to spend with people. 
or they don't know how to fix the problem. I mean, I think we've all run into that to where, you know, we might hear of an issue out there and we kind of know what could be the problem, but <laughs> they don't. And, um, you know, I think it, it takes a unique, like Wayne says, it does take a unique individual to be in this, this job. Um, but, you know, it, it's, there's always something to learn. I mean, I, I love going to the schools. I mean, I've been through a lot of bonus schools since 1995. And uh, whether I'm giving the school or I'm just listening and helping, I learn something new every time. And that's not just from our guys, but it's from the customers. It's, it's all the way around. So, I mean, it's, it's an industry where you're never going to be master, Wayne. Can you imagine if you got to come to one of my schools, how much you could learn? You know, I, I was thinking about that, Rob. You know, I've worked a lot with D and a few of the guys on the West Coast. And they, I don't know why they, they don't let me go work with you on the East Coast. But I've heard some phenomenal stories, just some phenomenal stories from people that have been in schools with you that went to the East Coast just to be in one of your schools. And I'm like, nice. this, this guy flew all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast just to attend a Rob school. I'm like, I'm missing out here, man. I need to get back there and see what's going on. So one of these days, Rob, I'll, I'll get a chance to work with you. That would be awesome. Rob, you see how I just let him talk? Yeah. <laughs> see how I didn't step on him when he was when It was, was tough, talking? wasn't it? Yeah. It was really hard for you, wasn't it? But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something else that I, that I, I think a lot about uh, uh, this job is that, and I didn't realize it at the time when I, when I, when I you know, became a rep working for Bona, is that um, when you are invited into someone else's business, uh, it, that's, 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 um, that's, as personal, that's about as personal as you can get. You know, that's someone's hard work and their, and their, and their, their livelihood and everything, their pride and everything else. And when they're invited, you're invited into that business and can be a part of that business, man, it's an honor. It's a, you know what I mean? Because that's, that's somebody's livelihood and they're asking you or they're depending on you or they're one they're being a partner with you. And that is something that I'm going to say this. I don't, I mean, I know this is going to sound like a bonus commercial. Maybe this whole damn thing does, but I don't care. Uh, if you look around our, our, our sales meetings at the, at the territory manager that we have, and if you look at the, the character of the guys, uh, the, whoever does the hiring um, does a damn good job because they're they're just good guys. When you look around the room, I'm old now. I'm one of the older guys in the room, and I so I can say this. <laughs> I you know you, when you get older, you have a tendency to be more cynical or more grumpy, like <clears throat> Rob. But um, when I look around the room, they're just good guys, man. And 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 um, when you are invited into someone's business and they're telling you you know, how they do things and what have you. To me, it's like almost talking to a doctor. You know, I don't, I don't share nothing. That's that man's business. And I, I, I don't repeat his business. I, I am honored that I'm, I'm allowed into it and, and you respect that. And I know you feel, you guys feel the same way. I agree with you hundred percent. So the other thing, um, you know, so the West coast, usually that's where the trends start that in Miami and New York. So what are you seeing out there uh, for the, for the future, uh, Larry? We, we, we saw with a, I remember with a cerusing that started out on the West Coast and the wire scraping and all these other different trends that started out on the West Coast. What do you see coming up in the future, or is it just more of the same? You know, we're, we're kind of getting out of the grays, I think. And, the, you know, the wire brushing is a, it's a newer system that we're able to now do on a, a site, site floor. So, I mean, I've got a lot of wire brush activity due to that power drive, and it, it, that's been a lot of fun, and it's, it's been great for the contractors to go in there and charge a little more money and do something a little bit different. But, 
you know, I'm starting to see a lot more natural finishes come back and not like uh, Nordic seal natural and, and natural seal, but like, you know, just regular neutral stain. And so, I mean, I, if I, if I was a bet man, I would say we're kind of getting back into that natural stage. I mean, the, the Nordic seal and, and natural seal have been a big hit, uh, especially on the coastal markets. You get in Santa Cruz and, and all in there. I mean, that's, that's been a huge, huge, huge hit. So, but looking across, I mean, it's a pretty diverse territory I'm in. I mean, I've got, you know, the Lake Tahoe and Reno and San Francisco and the Bay Area. So you got a lot of different little markets there. But the one thing that's pretty consistent is, you know, people are getting away from the, you know, the gray tones and the stuff like that. And they're kind of just going back to whatever wood that is, it's going natural. That's it. So I That is the best thing I've heard. All right, I'm coming back. I'm back, <laughs> baby. Back, I'm coming back. 40, 40, 80. Satin poly and bad lighting. <laughs> Here I come. I'm coming home, baby. So we'll we'll see if that sticks or not, but that seems like where it's going. Well, I was going to ask you about how COVID has changed everything, but we, we all know that it's just, it's been a nightmare for everybody across the country, but how are guys looking at 2021? You know, as long as the world didn't explode, I think they're being pretty optimistic. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you what, everybody's been busy and it seems like it's been kind of like that across the nation, but uh, there's more work out there than there are people that do it. And if we can just keep the momentum up, you know, it, it, this COVID thing, I mean, think about a high tech worker. He goes into his high tech cubicle every single day and makes a million dollars. And now he's being told to stay home. So he's got a million dollars and he's sitting there looking at his floor going, well, this floor looks like crap. I want to get rid of it. And so it, that's driven a lot of business towards our industry. And it's been absolutely phenomenal. And we're just hoping that momentum keeps going and it doesn't change. So it, COVID sucks. I mean, it's been tough. Uh, I was with a contractor in the very beginning that got thrown, physically thrown off the job by the, the local police. And uh, it was due to the homeowner next door. It was a, you know, an office worker that didn't want to see the vans in his neighbor's parking lot. Felt that that was wrong. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a vicious almost a fist fight boy it was it was ugly so it, it in the beginning it was tough but guys are getting around it and i'll tell you what i think most everybody in distribution and the contractors have been troopers because they're just they're still marching right along and they're doing business and, and every guy i talked to wishes he had at least between three and eight more crew members that he, he could put the work so i just hope it keeps going in this this direction and hopefully it you know things will get better well i got a picture of you on a jet ski upside down that I have to ask, I have to ask you, what's the deal with that story? I mean, Robbie's on a jet ski and he's up in the air, I don't know, like eight feet. And, the, and on the picture, he's upside down in that jet ski. So I, I, I heard you, did you race jet skis at one time? Yeah, you know, I mean, just like my story earlier on, I was a little kid and I wanted a dirt bike and my dad said, go buy one. You know, I, I like things to go fast, you know, and my wife always teases me. She goes, if it doesn't require a helmet and a bunch of gear, you're not going to do it. And uh, I've really tried hard to really get into golf or something that was a little bit more civil, but I, I just have a hard time with it. So, you know, yeah, you know, I, I spent some years racing motocross and I loved it and I got older and, you know, hit the ground it sounded like a sheet of glass hitting the ground and I was like well I can't be doing this much more so I jumped in the water and uh, one day I decided I wanted to race stand-up jet skis and I thought that was pretty cool but the honest fact of the matter and I gotta say this kind of kind of quietly because I'm at home and I want my wife to hear it is uh when you're out there, there's a lot of gals out there at the lake 
you know, and everybody's having a good time. So if you're just going real fast, you know, no one can really give a hoot. But when you can take that jet ski and flip it upside down eight feet in the air and land and keep going, I'll tell you what, there was some freaky stuff that went on. It was pretty cool. So that's kind of what attracted me to it. And it was a lot of fun. You know, you could hit the water as hard as you want. And you weren't breaking, breaking body parts and stuff. So, so yeah, that's probably where you saw that picture. I, I got into competitive, what's called freestyle riding. And we did backflips and barrel rolls and dive underwater. And it, what a lot of fun, man. I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was extremely challenging. Um, there's no textbook on how to do this stuff. You just go out there and, you know, try to make it work. And it, I'll tell you what, it was, it's a kick. And uh, I still kind of do it a little bit, but I, I can kind of see myself. I'm starting to back out of it too, because it's even it's starting to hurt out a little bit. So there's a country song. A guy did a country song on that because it's called "And the Chicks Dig It." Yeah. And yeah. the guy was a little kid, and he started jumping stuff, and that's what chicks dig. So it's cool. it's true. It's very true. And that's I mean that's kind of how I met my wife in a way. Um, your wife. Uh, and how many how many kids do you have, Larry? I've got two daughters. They're 14 and 11. And, um, well, I'll tell you what, everybody told me when I was young, it goes by fast. And I was like, yeah, whatever. It does go by fast. I, you know, my oldest one is uh, just first year of high school. And I got one that's about ready to go into middle school here pretty quick. And I, I can't believe it. You know, it's time does go by quick. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's you know, what's funny is you told the story uh, about the dirt bike. You, you asked your dad for a dirt bike. Yep. He said, yeah, you got to go get a job. I have the same exact story. Do you guys remember the bike called the Raleigh Chopper? Did you ever see that? Nah, that might have been before my time a little bit, Rob. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, uh, maybe Wayne saw it. But it looked like a motorcycle with a small wheel in the front, large wheel in the back. So I went to my dad, and I had never asked for anything when I was a kid. I said, geez, I really like this Raleigh Chopper. Well, we went down Andover, Mass., Went to Dana's Sports Shop, and there it is, the Raleigh Chopper. It was 85 bucks, and that was, I don't know, back in the 70s. Well, my father just started laughing. He goes, you better go talk to your grandfather. You're going to need a job. And I, that's what I did. I did the same exact thing. I ended up sweeping. And my grandfather had a bowling alley in town and cleaning lanes and ashtrays and bathrooms and parking lots. Two years later, I bought that bike. Proudest day of my life. Isn't that cool? It's a yeah. good opportunity, but look where we're at now, Rob. I mean, geez. I know. We're, we're both graced with Wayne. <laughs> I, bought my first car. I bought my first car when I was 14 years old for 650 bucks. But the second car I bought when I was uh, maybe 16, but I don't think so, probably 15, was $75. So my first car was less expensive than that, that uh, the toy of yours. And it looked like it too. It, it, it had dents on every side. It was a it was a Chevrolet 327 station wagon, and the guy that owned it before me tried to outrun a state trooper, and he he went off the road, crashed off the road into like a forest, and I think he hit every tree in the forest. And uh, but I bought it. Well, thank you. No, yeah, I I would love to put a shout out to you know everybody in this Northern California, Nevada, Hawaii area. I mean. Man, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for everybody. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's been real cool to see everybody just march right through all this stuff and keep on working. And And I, I love working with you guys. And and one of the challenges of this job is you can't be everywhere at the same time. But, you know, just let, let my customers out there know, you know, I'm, I'm only a phone call away. And that's that's it. So, but, uh, 
you know, it, it's been actually a great year. Uh, I think we built some really good relationships out here and, you know, distribution is doing very well. So, you know, let's just, let's just keep it going. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure working with, with uh, all my customers out here. Uh, we should give your, uh, we should give your um, email address uh, while you're here uh, in case someone wants to reach out to you, Larry. Absolutely. My, my email address is Larry. L-A-R-R-Y dot Stephen, and it's spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N at Bona.com. Well, Larry, it's been a real pleasure having you on here. I, I, I mean it sincerely, man. I think you're one of the, the, the when, they, when they dial up a rep, what a rep is supposed to be and, and, and the integrity and everything and, and the, the work ethic and, and uh, the knowledge, I mean, they, they dial up Larry Stephen. He so, comes right into the top 25, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's if I'm not in the. Well, yeah. 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 well, you're a corporate stooge now. You can't even consider yourself a TM. True. That's true, too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wayne. I, I, I appreciate, you know, you guys have me on and, you know, I, I love these things, man. I've, I've got a few favorite podcasts. And, you know, I just sent one out yesterday. It was kind of weird because you, you texted me yesterday and I just sent the. Uh, the tandem pull one to a guy up in Reno who's having a problem. I say you need to listen to this. These guys are the real deal. So, oh, you know, I, deal. I love I love the show. I think it's fantastic. Wow, that's great. Yeah, very cool. Man. Thank you for doing that, Larry. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. So, okay, enjoyed having you on, Larry. And uh, we want to have somebody on, on from the West Coast. And um, uh, shout out to all the guys on the on the West Coast that uh, that listen to us. We appreciate that as well. And this has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode.